This is the Rundown. The rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Welcome into another edition of The Rundown, live from the Auction Community Studios. I am Jordan Bird, filling in tonight for Luke Lipinski. And tip of the cap to Luke, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity and space on such a busy sports day as we have everything from NFL trades to a national title game to the Phoenix Suns going on. It's uh, it's a busy, busy Monday night. And uh, just I wasn't expecting to go down this road, but just think of where we were a year ago right now here in the first week of April where everything is shut down. It's an appreciation to have all of these things going right now. But we're going to start off this edition of the Rundown talking about the Phoenix Suns because this team continues to surprise the critics. I think even surprise some of the fans. I mean, I know for one, I was not expecting the Phoenix Suns to be a team that was at the top of the Western Conference standings this year. And this is a team that, so far, so good, continues to hold on to that number two spot in the Western Conference. Right now, with just under two minutes to go in the first half with their game in the Houston Rockets, it's 64-57 Phoenix which is nice to see that they have started to build a little bit of separation between themselves and Houston in this game because this has all the makings of a trap game, of being one of those games where the Suns play down to their inferior competition. It's something that has plagued this team, quite honestly, throughout the early part of the season. And when you look ahead to what's upcoming for the Phoenix Suns, not just this week where you have the back-to-back against Utah and the L.A. Clippers, but the schedule for the month of April is a murderer's row for the Phoenix Suns. And there was a write-up today, I believe it was the ringer.com, when they were looking at their NBA team rankings, their power poll, if you will. And in their write-up for the Phoenix Suns, they mentioned that we're going to find out during this upcoming month whether the Suns are a legit title contender. And that's what's so fascinating to me about this Phoenix Suns team is – As far into the season as we are, we basically have six weeks or so left in the regular season. The Suns have been a fun team to follow. They have been a surprising team to follow. But I don't know if we know definitively yet what is going to happen for the Phoenix Suns this year. How this ride is going to end. There was a, not to keep name dropping the ringer, but there was a piece last week by the ringer talking about just how great the Phoenix Suns are, both the eye test and the analytics, and saying, uh, you know, we don't have any sort of fancy analysis to come up with when it comes to the Phoenix Suns right now. We just want to see how this thing ends. And that's the thing that is just so intriguing about this team, because the last time the Phoenix Suns as an organization tasted the playoffs, it was with the Steve Nashes and you know, the Sean Marion's, the Amari Stoudemire's, Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry. It was during the heyday of the Phoenix Suns, one of the heydays of the Phoenix Suns. That's not really the case this year. I mean, we thought that this team was going to be a playoff squad, but once they get into the playoffs, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have no idea how this team is going to react to a seven-game series, how this team is going to be able to play that chess match of changing strategy and changing game plan one game to the next when you're trying to best the same team four times in a playoff series. And so the Suns very easily 
could be a first-round exit, especially depending on how the playoff matchups shake out. I mean, there's a lot of talk now starting to develop about the L.A. Lakers could be that team that slides down all the way to the sixth seed or maybe even seven or eight and has to play in the play-in game. And it's just the Phoenix Suns' luck to have a season like they're having this year Get the two seed or get the three seed. Get one of the top premier spots in the Western Conference playoffs and then have to match up with an L.A. Laker team that now all of a sudden has a healthy LeBron James and a healthy Anthony Davis. That's just the Phoenix Suns luck. But on the flip side of it, and as I mentioned, we'll find out here even further in the next coming weeks and later on this week with the Jazz and the Clipper game, but... I don't think it's outlandish to think that the Phoenix Suns can go on a lengthy playoff run, especially if the matchups are in their favor. I mean, as it stands right now, the Phoenix Suns have the two seeds, so they would get whoever comes out of that one play-in game. When you look at the rest of the standings, if the Suns remain the two seed, the team that would be on their side of the bracket would be the L.A. Clippers, which at the beginning of the season... I would have called anyone a fool to think that the Phoenix Suns could beat the L.A. Clippers in a seven-game series. But through the course of this season and witnessing what the Suns are doing and witnessing just how well-rounded they are when they're operating at full capacity, I don't think it's outlandish to think that the Suns could beat the Clippers in the second round. And then you wouldn't have to get to Utah or maybe even potentially the L.A. Lakers until the Western Conference Finals. And once you get that far... Who knows what could happen? The other big thing to keep in mind here is something that is slowly starting to work its way back into sports. I don't know if you saw today that the Texas Rangers had their home opener in front of a full capacity crowd in Arlington. I mean, there was 40,000 plus at that Ranger game today. And we're starting to see even local teams here in Arizona increase their fan capacity. By the time the NBA playoffs roll around, or by the time we get to the second or third round of those NBA playoffs, there's a distinct possibility that the Phoenix Suns arena could be at near capacity for these playoff games. That may not be the case in some of these other markets. And so something that these players haven't fully experienced in nearly two years when you had the Orlando bubble and then you had this season either in front of a very minuscule crowd size or no crowd at all, that all of a sudden is going to be this extra X factor that could play a significant factor in how the NBA playoffs play themselves out. But right now, as we go to halftime, the Suns, another offensive explosion. It's halftime in Houston. The Suns are beating the Rockets 70-60. to So we'll keep an eye on that game as we go throughout the course of the rundown tonight. We're also going to be keeping tabs on the NC. Double-A tournament game, the national title game between Baylor and Gonzaga. And with all that in mind, let's now get into the Rundown Rapid Reaction. The Rundown Rapid Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Well, the big story in the NFL today was Sam Darnold is on the move, going from the New York Jets now to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets are trading Darnold to Carolina for a sixth-round pick in this year's NFL draft. And in 2022, they're going to receive a second and a fourth rounder. Seems to be a pretty decent price for Carolina, considering what Sam Darnold 
was supposed to be, or I guess you could say what he still could continue to turn into. But it's going to set off this chain reaction of the QB carousel because now all of a sudden, Sam Darnold, who got pushed out of New York because the Jets have the number two pick, and by all indications, they're going to take Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU, with that number two pick. There was no spot for Darnold there. He now goes to Carolina. So now the thought process is what happens to Teddy Bridgewater? Now, pure speculation, but there's a lot of people on social media that are throwing out the idea that Teddy Bridgewater could be a perfect fit for the Denver Broncos. But if that's not the case, it's going to continue to roll into these dominoes and one is going to fall to the next. And the biggest domino of all when it comes to the quarterback position is what does San Francisco do with Jimmy Garoppolo? Are they truly going to use that third pick overall on Mac Jones or Justin Fields or even Trey Lance while also holding on to Jimmy G for the 2021 season. So Sam Darnold is on the move, but we could still see a lot more quarterback movement during this offseason and this summer in the NFL. The NCAA title game, as I mentioned, that is about 10 minutes away from tip-off between Gonzaga and Baylor. In all honesty, this has been one of the most perfect NCAA tournaments that you could ask for. You had the upsets, you had the Cinderella's, even UCLA taking Gonzaga down to the wire on Saturday evening, pushing them into overtime and creating an instant classic moment for Gonzaga and the NCAA tournament. But when it's all said and done, our title game tonight is probably the two best overall teams that have displayed their, or I should say made their case, throughout the course of this regular season in Baylor and Gonzaga. So we get the Cinderella's, we get the upsets, we get everything that makes March Madness so special. But in the end tonight, we end with a matchup that should be, at least on paper, between the two best teams that were in the tournament to begin with. Also today, Ken Kendrick, the managing general partner of the Arizona Diamondbacks, he joined the Burns and Gambo show, talked about a lot of different topics, and then slid this in when he was asked about Tori Lovello being in the final year of his contract as the manager of the D-backs. If I were making a prediction, and I sometimes do and try not to make too many, uh, because the more predictions you make, uh, the more likely you're going to be wrong on occasion, but... Uh, I would predict he'll be right back where he is uh, uh, in that dugout running the team next year. It's kind of unusual the way the Diamondbacks have handled this contract for Lavello. Both Ken Kendrick now, you've had Mike Hazen, you've had Derek Hall all make mention of it. I have all been asked questions about it. And all of them seem very secure in the idea that everything is hunky-dory, everything is great and grand, and we're just moving ahead. But the reality of the situation is that, by definition, Tori Lavello is still a lame duck head coach because he's in the last year of his contract. And so while they might be trying to present this, this image that everything is great, Tori's going to be back next season, if that truly is the case, then why hasn't there been any movement on a extension for Tori Lavello? And I think it's going to be very difficult to base the success off this season into the future of Tori Lovello because as we saw with the Diamondbacks and their opening series in San Diego, the Diamondbacks are fighting some of these teams in the NL West division with one hand tied behind their back. And that extends to the manager, Tori Lovello. Coming up next here on The Rundown, we'll focus a little bit deeper into the NCAA tournament. We're just moments away from tip-off. Who will come out? Will Gonzaga make history and 
wrap up the perfect season. We'll find out here in just a few hours, and we'll talk about it next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. It's The Rundown. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird back here with you on the rundown on this busy Monday evening in the world of sports, both here locally and around the rest of the country. As the NCAA tournament national title game is just moments away from tipping off in Indianapolis. And as I mentioned in the rundown rapid reaction, this is really the dream scenario for the NCAA tournament. Because what makes March Madness so great is having the upsets, having the Cinderella's, and having the Oral Roberts, Loyola Chicago's, UCLA's, Oregon State's, having those teams make tournament runs, but also not necessarily, and no disservice to these teams with what I'm about to say, but also kind of keeping the integrity of the national title game in place by having two of the more well-deserving teams make it to the national title game. And that's certainly what it seems like we have now. The thing about tonight is I have this sneaking suspicion, and it's not very hard to come up, come away with it, that there is in no way, shape, or form any possible way that this title game can live up to what we witnessed on Saturday night. Jalen Suggs banking in a three-point shot at the buzzer in overtime, nonetheless, to beat UCLA and move on. And when you're talking about the context of that game, when you have some people, including Jay Billis, who was already anointing it as one of the greatest moments that we have ever had in college basketball, that's going to be a difficult task to replicate, to one-up. Here was Jay Billis yesterday from ESPN. It was the cherry on top of an unbelievable Sunday. That was one of the best games I've ever seen, not just in basketball, but in any sport. And to me, it rivaled the 1992 Duke-Kentucky game in the the regional final where Christian Leitner hit that shot. And I think you can tell from the reaction, like, I'm still coming down from it. It's almost like I have a hangover from the game. Uh, It was so well played. Like, both teams shot 58%. You had, like, four or five guys on each team that had MVP caliber performances in that game. And to say it was a game for the ages has become cliche. It's one that we're going to remember forever. That's how good the game was. If I'm Gonzaga or a fan of the Bulldogs, I'm concerned about how my team is going to perform tonight in this title game. Because that is such an emotional high. That is such a uplifting moment. I mean, Jay Billis, one of the great college basketball analysts and college basketball historians, if you will, of the game, is anointing this as one of the greatest games ever. And yet, the job still hasn't been done. How do you get back up for that? Now, I know that you've got a national title on the line. You are chasing history. And I think that is the one caveat here that still has my interest in terms of some level of intrigue tonight in this game. Can Gonzaga pull it off and become the first team since, I think, 1976 in the Indiana Hoosiers to go wire to wire with the perfect season in the college basketball universe? And it, it was such an unusual season this year for college basketball with games being canceled left and right. I mean, there was supposed to be a Gonzaga-Baylor regular season matchup that got canceled due to COVID issues. So it's been such a herky-jerky season that the fact that we're at this point and we have 
a team on the precipice of joining a very exclusive club and being an undefeated wire-to-wire national title holder really adds that extra layer tonight for me. I'm rooting for Gonzaga. I was pulling for UCLA on Saturday night. I got roped into the Cinderella story of the Bruins. I got roped into the idea of supporting the Pac-12 and wanting the conference to continue to have this amazing story where they have rejuvenated their image and their play on the court and are actually somewhat resembling the Conference of Champions. But now that we're at this point with Gonzaga, I want them to go and win this game. I want to see history. I want to see them pull off something that I have never seen before in my lifetime. Many of you have never seen a undefeated national champion in the ranks of college basketball. And that's going to be something that is last forever. I mean, we're still talking about 76 here with the Indiana Hoosiers. And so it would be a waste. And I know I'm just I'm, I'm stating a lot of facts. I mean, it's not like I'm breaking any new ground here. But it would be such a waste for Gonzaga to lose this game because then the significance of what happened Saturday evening with Jalen Suggs goes, it loses some of its luster. It loses some of the air out of the balloon if you're not able to wrap this thing up. So we're moments away now from tip-off. I will continue to keep you updated on that game as we are getting set to tip-off between Gonzaga and Baylor. Well, a four-game series for the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend, their first series of the 2021 regular season, didn't really go as hoped. I would say as planned, but, I mean, they're facing the San Diego Padres, who seem to be in step with the L.A. Dodgers and one of the better teams in baseball, one of the better teams in the National League, and certainly the top two teams in the NL West. The thing that gives me more concern about this game or about that series than anything else than the performances was the injuries that are now starting to pile up for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Joaquin Soria looked like he tweaked something as he was running to first to cover the bag. You have Nick Ahmed, who over the weekend was put on the 10-day DL, and this is already in... On top of having Cole Calhoun out, also having Zach Gallen out. So for a team that needed to be flawless, for a team that needed to be operating at near perfect level to stay relevant, to stay competitive in the National League West division, they've been dealt a bad hand in terms of those respects. The one thing I will say, though, is I'm not sure how much a difference the Diamondbacks being healthy would actually make this season. Now, it it may have prevented them from getting off to such a rough start over the weekend, and we'll see how things change in Colorado beginning tomorrow evening. But, yeah, you would have Zach Gallen, who would have probably been your opening day starter. So maybe things don't get as out of hand in the early onset of that game against San Diego. But the D-backs came back with their offense on opening day. And had a lead and had a tie ball game late in the innings. So it's not like the Madison Bumgardner poor performance on opening day completely buried this team. And therefore, if Zach Gallen had, you know, shown out and it got turned over to the bullpen, that there's no guarantee they would have been able to uphold their end of the bargain. Nick Ahmed, I mean, yeah, he is a Q 
key piece to what this Diamondback organization is trying to do, specifically with his defense. And he's been getting better over the years with his offense. But it's not like he's Cattell Marte in terms of when he is out there performing at a high level, he can carry this team or at least put him on his back for a little while. And if we're being honest with Soria and Tyler Clippard, these were guys that were so unimpressive during spring training that Tori Lovello didn't name a closer. He's going bullpen by committee, closer by committee. So as much as you can say, hey, you know, these injuries, man, that could be one of the reasons why the D-backs are off to a rough start. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Yeah, I, the this team is just not good. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. They're not good. Um, Taylor Widener was a nice surprise, though. Yeah. That's for sure. And, and Marte's been great. So, okay, on both of those, Taylor Widener was great. He did exactly what the Diamondbacks needed him to do. How sustainable do we think that's going to be throughout the rest of the season? I don't know. He's so he's I mean, he's not so young. He's what, 26, but he's still that was his first start. Inexperienced. Yeah, inexperienced. That's a good word. And I just don't know if you can rely on a young kid like that to carry your entire rotation. I completely agree with you. And then on the respect of Cattell Marte, and we're actually going to get a little bit into this deeper in the program. If you cannot take advantage of the way Cattell Marte is raking right now, then that's a bad sign because Marte is not going to keep these numbers up throughout the rest of the regular season. And if you can't take advantage of having your best offensive player going all out right now, it's a bad sign to me that you can't win those games as of right now. And granted, it's a small sample size, but if you're losing these games already when Marte is balling out, then what's going to happen when Marte comes back down to earth a little bit? It's not going to be good. Cody Fincher. Not going to be good. Hard-hitting uh, analysis. But before you go to break, Buster only reporting that it's expected that Coors Field will host the 2021 oh. All-Star Game. Well, thank you for that update. That's been some question. In fact, that was a talking point today on Burns and Gambo as they were joined by Ken Kendrick, the managing partner of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the majority owner. He was asked by Burns and Gambo, is Arizona in the running for the displaced MLB All-Star Game? No, we absolutely would not. Uh, no, we would. We hosted one in 2011. We're proud that we were able to do that. But uh, I, I would frankly, uh, I view it as it would be an insult to my friends at the Atlanta Braves for us to take the game that was theirs. So apparently Colorado will be taking that All-Star Game. I'm completely down with that because with that thin air and that high altitude, that is going to make the home run derby enjoyable. That is going to make the game itself probably like a final score of 17 to 15. So uh, according to Buster Olney, thank you for that, Cody Fincher, that uh, Coors Field, the the site where the Diamondbacks will begin a new series tomorrow, will be the new home for the MLB All-Star Game. Coming up next on this rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski, Sam Darnold, now a part of the Carolina Panthers. Do we have the Arizona Cardinals and Steve Kime to thank for that? I'll explain next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, the big news in the NFL today was the trade of Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. The Jets are getting a sixth-round pick this year. They're getting a second and a fourth-rounder in 2022. 
And Sam Darnold now has a new home with the Carolina Panthers. It was an interesting idea when you talk about this is a guy that was drafted at near the top of an NFL draft that was just three years ago. The 2018 NFL draft. Sam Darnold has now been traded to Carolina. You had Josh Rosen, who was traded from Arizona after only one season, who was a part of that 2018 draft. And Andrew Siciliano of the NFL Network sent out a tweet after the trade went down that Sam Darnold is the fourth first-round pick from the 2018 NFL draft to be traded. That in itself is amazing. But Dave Pash, the longtime Cardinals radio play-by-play voice and ESPN broadcaster, he quote-tweeted that and said, the Cardinals changed the game with taking Kyler Murray the year after Rosen. You're not tied to a first-round quarterback like you once were. Moving on is a lot easier. And it's easy to say that now, or it's easy to say that maybe the Cardinals have started some sort of trend, but... I think there is some real validity, some real truth to that idea, because everything that we have heard when we, if you go back three seasons now, or two seasons now, I should say, because it was the spring of 2019 when we were building up to the Cardinals having the number one overall pick, it was this narrative of, you know, the Cardinals already have Josh Rosen. You had Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury come out and say, Josh Rosen is our guy. Cliff Kingsbury, I'm looking forward to working with Josh Rosen. And that all turned out to be a smokescreen, or depending on what version of events you truly believe, maybe the Cardinals did believe that, and then as they started doing more and more draft prep on Kyler Murray, they fell in love with the guy and decided that's the route they have to go. But it's interesting how the NFL is moving towards the idea of being totally comfortable with putting the keys to the organization in a rookie or young quarterback's hands. We saw part of this with San Francisco's trade up to the third overall pick, where it's still yet to be determined what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo. But the 49ers, if they're healthy, and they should be healthy, I mean, barring anything unforeseen as of right now, but when the 49ers are healthy, this is a good team. And to now say that they potentially could be turning things over to a rookie quarterback and what potentially could be a lengthy playoff run seems counterproductive to the way that we have come to think of quarterback play in the NFL. Now, Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson have kind of flipped the script, even Josh Allen to a certain level, because those are young quarterbacks who have come in and to varying degrees have had playoff success so far in their young NFL careers so there is a little bit of a track record now that is starting to build up but in terms of the New York Jets if you have decided that Sam Darnold is not your man is not your guy to continue to be the leader of this offense and the leader of your team then why waste time why hope and wish and pray that something is going to change when you can go in a different direction, and most notably, if you go out and get another young quarterback, a rookie quarterback, it creates so much cap flexibility that you can have addressing other areas of your roster because that quarterback is on that rookie deal, and you're not yet paying him $30 million, $40 million a season. For Sam Darnold, though, specifically, for him personally, Mike Greenberg of ESPN, he went on a nice little rant this morning talking about how 
the Jets as an organization did Sam Darnold wrong. Look what the Jets did with Sam Darnold. The Jets bring in Sam Darnold and started him immediately. Just threw him to the wolves. Just get him out there. And then when things started going badly around him, they left him out there. And then they tanked a season with him on the roster. They gave him no chance to succeed. And with a terrible team with terrible defense and terrible weapons, what does that do? If I was a player at the stature of being looked at at the top of the NFL first round, I, I would be happy with whatever team selected me. But part of me is like, man, I don't want anything to do with the Jets. That's one of those organizations where it's just Chicago as well, specifically for the quarterback position. I mean, it's just been a wasteland. And Greenberg has some, some valid points there. I mean, how much of this is on Sam Darnold and how much of this is on the Jets? You look at Ryan Tannehill, who struggled with the Miami Dolphins, and I really didn't think much of him when he came out of Texas A&M, but he has seemed to find whatever he needed in Tennessee now as the starting quarterback of the Titans. Now, that also certainly has been aided with a respectable defense and arguably one of the better, more dominating running backs in the entire NFL. That certainly helps out the situation. But there is a little bit of precedent, at least in the terms of Ryan Tannehill, a guy who a lot of people may have been giving up on to turn it around when he heads to a new team. Well, speaking of trying to turn things around, points bet. I'm not quite familiar with this gambling site, but the points bet came out with their NFL win totals, the over-under for NFL win totals in the 2021 season. Uh, They have the 49ers and the Rams at 10.5 in the new 17-game season. Uh, They have the Seattle Seahawks with only nine wins in the 17-game season. The Arizona Cardinals, they have them with their over-under win total at eight games with an extra game to be played than we've ever had before. And so it's interesting to see kind of the gambling perspective or the national perspective with the Arizona Cardinals, because here locally, and rightfully so, there's been a lot of positive momentum, a lot of positive vibes trending towards the Arizona Cardinals and the signing of J.J. Watt and bringing in Malcolm Butler and trading for Rodney Hudson and even to a lesser extent bringing in A.J. Green. There's a lot of name brand potential that the Arizona Cardinals added this offseason. But how much of that is actually going to translate to wins? This team is certainly, from all appearances with the moves that they've made, in a quote-unquote win-now mode. But are those players, specifically the ones that I just named, are those going to be enough to propel the Arizona Cardinals beyond just another ho-hum season? I think it is. I think it could. Because, let's be honest with ourselves, the Arizona Cardinals could have and should have been much better than 8-8 eight and eight last season. What, at one point they were 5-2 and two, and then they were 6-3, and three, something to that effect? And then the wheels just came off in the second half of the season. The Cardinals, with a banged-up Kyler Murray, could not beat John Walford or C.J. Beathard in the final two games of the season. Had they done that and moved their record to 9-7, and seven, Not only are we talking about a team that's above 500, but we would have been talking about a Cardinal team that was also in the playoffs. So there's a very thin line, a razor thin line between this Arizona Cardinal team already coming off a playoff appearance and already being above 500 with 
a roster that now on paper doesn't look as strong as it does now. Now, of course, there are still some major question marks that the Arizona Cardinals are going to have to figure out throughout the rest of this offseason and address in the NFL draft. Cornerback being one of them. Yes, you've got Malcolm Butler, who for me personally, I think is an upgrade over Patrick Peterson with all things considered. When you take into consideration finances and production and the type of player those two guys are, I think it's an upgrade to have Malcolm Butler on the Cardinals as opposed to Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson was allergic to tackling. Malcolm Butler welcomes the physicality. So that is one area where you might have upgraded, but what about the other side of that cornerback spot? Who is going to be playing opposite of him? Who is going to be in the backfield offensively with Chase Edmonds? Because I love Chase Edmonds. I think he does very good quality work for what the Arizona Cardinals have asked him to do up to this point. But can he be the, the bell cow running back for an NFL team? I'm not so sure about that. And of course, there's still going to be more pieces that are going to be added here. But for me right now, I would feel like if I was a gambling man, I would be all over the over with the Cardinals having eight wins in this upcoming season. It's going to be fascinating to see just as we get deeper and deeper into the offseason, once the draft happens and once we start gearing up for training camp, how the rest of the NFL and how the rest of the country is perceiving this Cardinal team because they should have been a playoff team last year. They could have been a playoff team last year. And now with some of the big-name players that they've added this offseason, it seems like a real make-it-or-break-it type season specifically for Cliff Kingsbury. If the Cardinals don't make it to the playoffs, Cardinals could be looking for a new head coach this next offseason. Coming up next, here on the rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski, the Suns with a six-point lead over the Houston Rockets, the success to their season, a large part of it's been due to Chris Paul. But is this a one-and-done year for Chris Paul and his time with the Phoenix Suns? That's coming up next on a 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Just a little over a minute to go in the third quarter. The Suns have a 97-88 lead over the Houston Rockets. A must-win game for the Suns. You have to beat these teams that are just far inferior than you. And that's certainly what the Houston Rockets are right now. Not only are they a bad team in general, but considering all the injuries and the players that they have out right now, this is just a team that is depleted. So it's good to see that the Suns, as uh, Cam Johnson may have a shot at a four-point play, just was fouled on a made three-pointer. So the Suns now starting to build upon that lead a little bit. And so much of the success of this Suns season has been rightfully so, placed on the addition of Chris Paul. And I think that's going to be one of the great what-ifs that we will never know the answer to is how much has Chris Paul really benefited the Suns this season? Coming off of the 8-0 bubble run, having Devin Booker continue to develop, and Mikel Bridges adding more and more offense to his game to go along with first-class defense. Even, I know it's been infuriating and it's very tiresome at times with DeAndre Ayton and his development, but certainly the big man is making progress here and there. But so much of it is around Chris Paul and just kind of the attitude and the culture that he has brought to this Suns team. 
And I hate to be the bearer of bad news right now or to even bring up a potential subject that it may happen. There's a very decent chance it doesn't happen. But over the last few days now, there's been more and more conversation talking about what Chris Paul might do this upcoming offseason. It started over the weekend when Drew Holiday was given a contract extension by the Milwaukee Bucks. And Kevin Pelton wrote a piece for ESPN.com talking about, okay, what does this mean for the free agent class of 2021? And at the bottom of his article, as he's going through all of these guys like Paul George and Rudy Gobert and Kai and uh, Kawhi Leonard, he gets to Chris Paul. And this paragraph right here, quote, Phoenix Suns guard Chris Paul also has an interesting decision to make on a $44.2 million player option for the 2021-2022 season. Paul wouldn't realistically get offers of that size in free agency, but could choose to secure a multi-year contract while he's still playing at an all-star level. Then you turn your attention to The Athletic, who John Hollinger today talking about what the Drew Holiday extension says it puts the spotlight squarely on Chris Paul. Here's the snippet from his article. The player it impacts the most might be another extension eligible player on a winning team. Dot, dot, dot. Phoenix's Chris Paul. So much of this has been looked at, at least for me personally, as this is a two-year experiment with the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul. The Suns have two years to make this work, make this run, and after two seasons, you have some time to figure out what life after CP3 could look like for the Phoenix Suns at the point guard position. Now, all of a sudden, that might get sped up a little bit more so. Now, these are national writers that are looking at what could be coming down the pipe. But for me, I don't know why Chris Paul necessarily would want to leave Phoenix. Because, as was highlighted last week by multiple people, I know on this station and also on social media, the Suns right now have the second highest winning percentage of any team that Chris Paul has played on. That includes the Clippers and the Rockets and the OKC Thunder and going back to his time with the Hornets. So this is not only beneficial for the Phoenix Suns, but it's been beneficial for Chris Paul himself. There's also been this idea... And there's this stigma, and I think it's a reality. I don't know if it, I don't think it's made up, but Chris Paul pushes his teammates. And there's been people writing nationally talking about how there could be Chris Paul fatigue, or there may have been Chris Paul fatigue from some of his teammates previously. Well, if that truly is the case, where players and other teams and other cities have gotten tired of having Chris Paul nag on them, To me, that would probably mean it's more veteran guys, guys who have established themselves before Chris Paul or guys who have accomplished certain personal feats or team feats without Chris Paul and feel like they don't need the point God to come in and tell them what to do or how to do things because they've had their own level of success. That's not the case with this Phoenix Suns roster. As much as Devin Booker and all that he has accomplished is looked at as a budding superstar, he hasn't even sniffed the NBA playoffs yet in his career. The Suns are going to be a playoff team this year, and that will be the first time he gets that opportunity. You have guys like Jay Crowder, who was on that Miami Heat team that went to the finals last year. But that's a guy who is egoless. 
He doesn't have a, an agenda for him personally that he's got to get his. He's a true team player and has talked in multiple levels about how he's there to help this team and do whatever it takes. So it just doesn't make sense to me why Chris Paul would potentially want to opt out of the Phoenix Suns deal just one year into it. Now, you could, if you wanted to be a real conspiracy theorist, piece together some of the other NBA news that has come out over the last week, and that was Brian Windhorst saying that LeBron James started courting Steph Curry around the All-Star break to join up with him sometime soon. And LeBron has always got an eye out for who is going to be the next piece that is going to join him on a super team. Chris Paul is buddies with LeBron James. He was part of the infamous banana boat picture with D. Wade and LeBron. So there's no doubt that there is a relationship and a familiarity between LeBron and Chris Paul. Would Chris Paul be enticed to leave Phoenix and go to the L.A. Lakers? When you're dealing with those super teams and Kevin Pelton's piece talking about you would be giving up a big money one-year deal for the security of a multi-year contract, I don't see that coming from a super team. I don't see that coming from a Lakers squad or a Brooklyn Nets, if you will. I think, and this is just my humble opinion, I am not in the head of Chris Paul. I do not have any behind-the-scenes privy information. But right now, Phoenix seems to be an ideal location for a guy like him because he can be that natural leader that he has proven to be at all of his other stops without rubbing his other teammates the wrong way, without ticking off James Harden or Russell Westbrook when he calls into question what they're doing. This is still such a, such a young, raw Suns team that he's really able to mold this team into whatever he wants it to be. And so not only would he be getting a pay decrease if he left the Suns, yeah, he would be getting maybe more security with the years, but he would be into a situation where after only one year in Phoenix, he could be joining a new team that doesn't want to hear his constant bickering about how his teammates perform or what they are doing wrong or why aren't you in the film room or why aren't you in the weight room? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? I think it's perfect for him right here in Phoenix. You know, this conversation with Chris Paul, so much about it is how Chris Paul elevated the Phoenix Suns to this level that no one thought attainable. But if the Phoenix Suns could continue to grow and truly pull off something amazing this year, and that's not even saying that they have to win an NBA title, but if they can make a deep playoff run, then the Phoenix Suns become part of Chris Paul's legacy. And when thinking about Chris Paul and all that he's accomplished, his playoff track record is not very glowing. And if he can accomplish something that he hasn't before with the Phoenix Suns, even if it's just getting to the Western Conference Finals, I know he's done that before in other stops, but getting maybe to the NBA Finals, not winning it, but continuing to take steps in the right direction, then the Phoenix Suns are going to be just as much a part of Chris Paul as Chris Paul and his fingerprints on the Suns are right now. A little update as we take a look around all the games going on right now. Man, I knew that that title game was not going to live up to the hype of the Final Four game. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. 
Just under six minutes to go in the first half, and Baylor is dominating Gonzaga 35-18. to So maybe we still have some sort of miracle comeback here by the Bulldogs that could entice or you know make this a more enticing watch but right now this is just a blowout for the Baylor Bears and in the NBA right now the Phoenix Suns when we take a look at what's going on with them in Houston uh 101 to 92 as they begin the fourth quarter in that one DeAndre Ayton having himself a ball game right now 27 points for the big man actually check that update on that score it's now tied at 101 I'm looking at an old uh old page here on the uh on the scoreboard good god sons really a 9-0 run by houston to start the fourth quarter that's just uh, we'll have to keep an eye on this one coming up our number two of the rundown it's jordan bird in for luke lipinski you're listening to 98.7 fm arizona sports station 98.7 fm arizona's sports station the rundown reload rundown reload Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this edition of The Rundown. It's time for The Rundown Reload, getting you squared up on all the top stories of the day. Right now in Houston, 7.30 to go in the fourth quarter, and the Phoenix Suns are losing to the Houston Rockets, 105-104. to The Suns had a 15-point lead at one point in this game, and I know you might say, this sounds familiar. This sounds like... Something that happened in previous games against bad teams, and the Suns are letting it happen again. Right now, DeAndre Ayton leading the way for the Suns with 27 points. Uh, Devin Booker has 18 points. And really, quite frankly, this is Devin Booker time. If Devin Booker is going to continue to make the steps that he needs and make the progress to that level that everyone is hoping and thinking that he can attain... He's got to take over in games like these. He's got to be able to put this Suns team on his back when things start going off the rails. And it's just, it's absolutely mind-numbing how the Suns struggle so mightily against inferior competition. I mean, I was talking about it during the break with Cody Fincher. There is no one on this Houston Rockets team that's really playing right now. This is not a good team. And yet the Suns now find themselves down by three, It was a tied game at the beginning of the fourth quarter after the Houston Rockets in a span of 90 seconds made back-to-back-to-back three-pointers. And the Suns now find themselves in a very dangerous situation as Devin Booker gets the bucket and the foul, so he'll have an opportunity to tie this game now that he has 20 points. But, man, we'll keep an eye on this one as we continue throughout. But you can't lose to the Houston Rockets like this. This is a team that's supposed to be a real contender, a team that's supposed to be one of the better teams in the Western Conference, and the Suns are just, uh, I, I, I can't explain it. I don't know if they just get all happy and giggly when they get up by double digits and just lose focus and attention to detail and allow these teams to get back into it, but the Suns are having an issue right now with the Houston Rockets. NCAA title game. Things are looking a little bit better. Baylor got off to an 11-1 lead in this game after Gonzaga, of course, had one of the all-time instant classic games when they beat UCLA on Saturday night. Now the Zags trailing Baylor 40-26 with three minutes to go in the first half as Baylor just hits a three. So now that lead back up to 17 
and the fans in ba- the fans in Indianapolis for the Baylor Bears are going wild because, I mean, this seemed like a foregone conclusion. I said on Burns and Gambo today that if Gonzaga loses this game, it would be like the Miracle on Ice team, the 1980 USA hockey team beating the USSR in the silver medal or in the semifinals and then losing the gold medal game. I mean, Gonzaga won what is being talked about as one of the greatest college basketball games of all time. And now with history on the line, they could become the first undefeated team wire-to-wire national title holders to stay undefeated since 1976. And now they're trailing by 17 points in this game. So a lot of work for the Zags to do. And some work for the Phoenix Suns to do in these basketball games that we have going on right now as we're on the air. In the NFL, Sam Darnold has been traded from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers will give up a sixth-round pick in this year's draft to the Jets. And next year, they will give up a second and a fourth rounder for the one-time first-round draft pick. It really is fascinating. Andrew Siciliano of the NFL Network tweeted out earlier today, With Darnold being traded, that now makes three players that were selected in the first round of the 2018 NFL Draft who have already been traded. Of course, Josh Rosen is one of those players, and Dave Pash, the radio voice of the Arizona Cardinals, responded to that tweet saying, you know, if you think about it, the Arizona Cardinals have kind of been the trendsetter in this fashion because it was after only one season where the Cardinals had the first overall pick and they moved on from Josh Rosen and selecting Kyler Murray. Now more and more teams seem to be willing to part with their former first rounder, something that just a few seasons ago seemed like such an unthinkable proposition. But now for the Jets, you get to restart things over with a quarterback, presumably it's going to be Zach Wilson, Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU, who they're probably going to be taking with the second overall pick. You're going to be able to start the financial cap space clock back at zero because you'll have that quarterback, your starting quarterback, on the rookie deal, allowing you to be a little bit more financially flexible with some of the other areas on your roster. Earlier today, Diamondbacks managing partner Ken Kendrick, he joined the Burns and Gambo show, had some very interesting things to say about Tori Lovello. He was asked about Lovello going into his final year being the manager right now in his final season under contract with the Arizona Diamondbacks and what that might mean for Lavello's future in Arizona. One, I'm a big Tory Lavello fan, so let me get that said. Separately, you know, if you think of, of players, and uh, I think you guys observe this, whether it be baseball or other sports, players uh, on their last year of contracts uh, probably go all out to really give everything they have to the job uh, because the next contract is sitting out there potentially available. Uh, That might happen with a manager. I think he's going to give it all he has no matter what. But, uh, you know, we're very comfortable with what he's done. Uh, He's very comfortable, you know, in, in the setting that he's in. And so, if I were making a prediction, and I sometimes do, and try not to make too many, uh, because the more predictions you make, uh, the more likely you're going to be wrong on occasion. But uh, I would predict he'll be right back where he is uh, uh, in that dugout running the team next year. Now, I do believe there's some contradictions in that statement by Ken Kendrick. First of all, I mean, he says that I don't think he hasn't been going all out in his previous years as the manager of the Diamondbacks. But, you know, just like players, sometime in the final year of their contract, they go all out. 
So are you expecting a different type of managerial style from Tory Lovello? In a way, we have kind of seen it a little bit so far this season. He has been far more aggressive in some of his decision-making and game-planning than we've seen in years past. I mean, going to pinch hitters earlier in the game and not allow and playing the matchups more than he has in the past as opposed to relying on a more everyday starter type player. I mean, we saw David Peralta in the second game of the season get benched because it was a lefty matchup. And so we're starting to see Lavello, I think, manage a little bit differently, but I don't know if that's because it's in the final year of his contract or if he's just tried things in the past that hasn't really worked, so let's try something different. Whatever the case... I think it's kind of odd that the Diamondbacks, both Ken Kendrick, Derek Hall, even Mike Hazen to a certain respect, have all said how comfortable and how much they like Lavello. yet they haven't given the man an extension. Because if you're waiting on something special to happen this year that may sway you one way or the other, you could be waiting for a long time because it just doesn't look like it's going to be the Diamondback year, not only with what they have on their own roster, but with what they're competing against in the NL West division. The Arizona Coyotes in action. In fact, the puck dropping here very soon as they are taking on the LA Kings. A very big win for the Arizona Coyotes last night as they beat the Anaheim Ducks in overtime. In fact, that game has started. They're just underway, 0-0 between the Coyotes and the Kings. With their win last night for the Coyotes over the Ducks, they now have a three-point lead over St. Louis for the fourth and final playoff spot in the West Division. That is crucial that they can continue to build some momentum and build some cushion between themselves and St. Louis and San Jose and hopefully wrap up a playoff spot this season because, man, when was the last time we've had a playoff hockey team and a playoff basketball team here in the Valley during the same season? So good luck to the Coyotes tonight as they continue to chase that playoff spot. At the half, we've just gone to halftime in Indianapolis. Baylor now leading Gonzaga 47-37. to So a little bit more respectable on the scoreboard for the Zags. And right now in, Phoenix, or in Houston, I should say, coming up on the four-minute mark in regulation, and the Suns are back up by eight. So hopefully the Suns had their scare and can now hold off this Houston Rocket team. Coming up next on the rundown with Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski. Cattell Marte is off to a blazing hot start for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But is it being wasted by the rest of the players on this roster? That's next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. This is The Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, if you're just joining us, Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of The Rundown. Major League Baseball has anointed Coors Field as the new host of this year's All-Star Game after Major League Baseball decided to move the game out of Atlanta due to the voting laws that were passed in Georgia last month. So now the All-Star Game will head to Denver, Colorado. It will mark the second time that the All-Star Game has been played at Coors Field. The last time it happened was 1998, just a few years after the Rockies came into Major League Baseball. That was a 13-8 to All-Star Game score. National League losing to the American League. And, you know, if 
if you're going to move the All-Star game and you kind of have your pick of wherever you can kind of go in that sense, Colorado seems somewhat like the perfect spot because when you're talking about All-Star games, you want off offense. I mean, the pitchers only go one inning at most, so it's not like you're going to get some fantastic pitchers duel between the starters and each guy's going to go six, seven innings or you could have a complete game or anything like that. You just, they don't burn through their arms or put that type of taxing workload on guys in the all-star game. So the alternative is to have a high flying offensive showcase. And if there's anything that we know about Coors Field, it's that it's known for its offense. So uh, congratulations to Colorado for getting that as they will uh, take over the hosting duties for Atlanta. One guy who certainly could be in Colorado come all-star time is Cattell Marte, who is off to a fantastic start to the season so far. Uh, in 18 plate appearances, he's got nine hits, three RBIs, two home runs. He's batting 563 with a slugging percentage over one, uh, 163. His on-base percentage is crazy. He's having a fantastic start. And it's refreshing to see a guy who severely took a step back last year in the 60-game season to bounce back and be the player that we saw glimpses of in the 2019 season. He finished fourth in the NL All-Star voting. So it's Great. And I'm not trying to undermine what Cattell Marte is doing right now. What I am concerned about with, though, is that I feel like it's all being wasted in a respect. Because for the Arizona Diamondbacks to have any sort of success in the standings on the team front this year, they need everyone operating at a high level. They need, when guys like Cattell Marte are playing well, they need backup. They need help to carry that over into tangible wins in the standings. That hasn't been the case, though. I mean, the only other guy who is hitting above 240 right now is as Drubal Cabrera, who's hitting 250, and Carson Kelly, who only has eight uh, plate appearances. So it's a very minuscule amount of support that Cattell Marte so far is getting. And I know it's four games. It's four games into 162. There's a long way to go. But it already feels like the Diamondbacks are behind the eight ball with how that series went in San Diego, and you have Cattell Marte just absolutely going off and not being able to get any sort of wins out of that type of crazy production that he's had so far. And you mentioned it. It's it's not even coming from like the the support. It's coming from as Dribble Cabrera, who is forty years old or however old he is. Well, and it was kind of an afterthought when he was added. Right. You know, he's just a guy that's gonna he can play multiple positions and come in here and, and pinch hit. But he's been an everyday starter. It seems like. Um, and then guys like Josh Rojas, who had a really good spring, aren't. It's not carrying over. You know. Yeah. I mean, Josh Rojas was what potentially the MVP of yeah. Diamondbacks spring training camp, which of all the spring, I think he led all the spring training at one point in in hitting. It was crazy. He's hitting 063 yeah. right now, and he's looked 
terrible at shortstop. Eduardo Escobar, in 11 plate appearances, is still looking for his first hit of the season. I want to know what's happened to Escobar, because two years ago, he was this, wow, I can't believe they got Eduardo Escobar for three years. For They traded him for almost nothing. He hit over 30 home runs, drove in over 100 runs. Uh, and and the last two seasons, he's just been awful. I've got a theory about that. Okay, it's it's out of left field. It, but okay, you like know his um, his phobia of cats. Yeah, and David Peralta in particular, <laughs> and some of the other players yeah. have really liked to play into his phobia with a stuffed cat and things like that. Uh-huh. Maybe that has screwed with his head. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that he's constantly worried that he's going to get pranked or, you know, that his teammate's going to come up with a black cat stuffed plush. I, I would have loved to have seen what he would have done in Coors Field if he were on the Dodgers or the Rockies when that cat got loose during oh, that series. Yeah. A real life cat. <laughs> he he probably would have ran. He yeah. probably would have ran. But no, you're right. Because, I mean, Christian Walker, a guy who was being looked at as someone to take the next step. David Peralta. Uh, I'm still waiting for David Peralta to consistently play up to what I think his abilities are. But it's just Cattell Marte has really been the only consistent everyday player that the Diamondbacks are getting any sort of production out of right now. And that's not going to win games, especially when your starting rotation is patched worked right now. Your bullpen is highly questionable and young and inexperienced. This is not... The this is not the equation to have a successful season. I know I'm stating the obvious and I don't have any solution other than the guys who are supposed to be relied upon. They need to start producing, which I know is as basic as you can possibly get. But this Colorado series, I know we're still within the first week of the year. This Colorado series could be huge for the Diamondbacks and both regaining some positive momentum and feeling like maybe they're shifting the tide back into a correct direction or just feeling like they're already buried in what is arguably the most top-heavy division in all of baseball. So it's going to be a difficult time for the Diamondbacks. 540 is the first pitch tomorrow with the Diamondbacks taking on the Colorado Rockies in a brand-new series. Well, we have the NCAA title game going on right now. Uh, it's still at the half, I believe, where it uh, is 47-37. to 37, Baylor on top of Gonzaga. So a potential upset brewing here with the second half still to go. But I wanted to bring up March Madness because there is an element of March Madness that might be coming to the NFL. And what I mean by that is Peter King wrote in his column today that there are some changes and some ideas that the NFL is floating and considering that could give the summer for the NFL a March Madness type of feel. And what I'm talking about is Midnight Madness. So not exactly March Madness. That's obviously in the springtime in the NCAA tournament. Midnight Madness is a college basketball event that happens every October where teams all around the country tip off at midnight at their training facility at their arena and there's a lot of hoopla around it you know i mean they bring out the pep band they bring out the cheerleaders it's it's a it's a celebratory event well there's some talk in the nfl according to peter king that the nfl will open training camp with a midnight madness 
Now, they could only do 28 of the 32 teams because two of the teams are going to be playing in the Hall of Fame preseason game, so they will be starting training camp well before everyone else. And then you also have the two teams that are going to be playing the Thursday night game that begins the NFL regular season. Those teams are going to be off on their schedule a little bit. But the other 28 teams, according to Peter King, there is real ideas within the NFL of having them all start on the same day and having a midnight madness to open training camp. And I, for one, love the idea. I think it's something that could be highly entertaining, and it's also a way specifically considering how we watched football last year where it was all at home and no one was really allowed in stadiums. I know there were some teams, Cardinals included, that at times allowed a certain handful of fans to come into the stadium but what better way to kind of kick off football once again if the health and safety protocols are there for it to have a kind of a midnight madness I know (laughs) I would be excited about it and it's hard to get excited about the first day of training camp a lot of times because it's just you know there's ho-hum drills and things like that but if you built an event around it and treated it like a real holiday, if you will. That, man, it is training camp opening day, and you on NFL Network or ESPN are going from site to site to site and seeing how that team is opening up Midnight Madness. And, you know, with the time changes, you could roll it out each hour where you have the East Coast teams and what they're doing, then Central Time, Mountain Time, I mean, I think it could be really something fun and spectacular and unique for each individual market. So that's just one idea that's being thrown around right now in NFL circles, but I thought it was kind of appropriate with the NCAA title game going on right now that we might get a little flavor, a little taste of college basketball in the world of the NFL. Coming up next on The Rundown with Jordan Bird filling in for Luke Lipinski. Earlier today on the Burns and Gambo show, Diamondbacks managing partner and owner Ken Kendrick joined the fellas to discuss the all-star game situation in Major League Baseball and the status of their manager, Tori Lovello. You'll hear an excerpt of that interview with Burns and Gambo coming up next here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Jordan Bird in for Luke Lipinski on this Monday edition of the Rundown. We've got some games to get you caught up on. The Phoenix Suns and Houston Rockets, they have gone final. The Suns, after leading by 15, have held on. And one one thirty three to one thirty. It was another one of those too close to call nail biters against a inferior opponent. But to their credit, the Suns are starting to get a little bit better at pulling these games out and not actually ending up with a bad loss. Devin Booker, I was talking about how in the fourth quarter Booker needs to show up and show out, and he did exactly that. He had thirty six points in tonight's win. 18 of those points coming in the fourth quarter alone. So a nice job by Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton had a double-double with 27 points and 11 boards. He got those 27 points on 10 of 14 shooting from the field. So a nice game for Ayton. Uh, A double-double for Chris Paul. 19 points, 11 assists. Dario Saric, though, struggles. 
once again, had just one point, one of two from the free throw line. He also had, he was one of six from the field, one of three from three point. But Devin Booker with 18 points in the fourth quarter, that is now a new season high for points in the fourth quarter for Devin Booker this uh, season. And that is a nice change of pace because it wasn't that long ago when we were talking about Devin Booker and a little bit of a disappearing act that it was last week over uh, about a four or five game stretch where Devin Booker was really kind of going MIA in that final quarter, in that final frame. So for Devin Booker to put this team on his back and will them to a victory is growth. It's another step in the right direction. The Suns now have won six straight. They've won nine out of their last ten. And it sets up now what will be a big-time game on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock on ESPN. So nationally televised, the Suns will be taking on the Utah Jazz. That's number one and number two in the Western Conference that are going at it. In fact, when you look at the scoreboard from tonight's round of games, the Utah Jazz lost. They actually fell to the Dallas Mavericks 111-103. to So as it stands right now with Phoenix's win and Utah's loss, the Suns are just two and a half games back of Utah for the first seed and the top spot in the Western Conference. In fact, the Suns are closer to the one seed right now than they are to the three seed. The Suns have a full three-game lead above the Clippers at number three and are two and a half back of Utah. Oh, by the way, the Clippers are also on the upcoming schedule as they will be taking on the Suns on Thursday night. So the Suns do work. They hold on and they beat Houston. And now it sets up a back-to-back on Wednesday and Thursday with Utah and the Clippers that... We haven't experienced this in nearly a decade. Many of you listening may not even remember the last time we had meaningful playoff implication type of basketball with the Phoenix Suns in the month of April. But that's what we have, and there's going to be some big-time games coming up for the Phoenix Suns. So it's going to be another storyline that the Suns allowed a lousy team that was injury-depleted to hang around and make it a lot closer of a game than it should have been, but the Phoenix Suns hold on. Uh, let's take a look at the world of college basketball, where the national title game is underway right now. Uh, just under 13 minutes to go in the second half, and every time Gonzaga tries to make a run, Baylor, to their credit, is able to stamp it out. Because right now, with just under 13 minutes to play, Baylor is up 16 on Gonzaga, 67-51. to 51. This game started out terribly for Gonzaga. I mean, it's been Baylor since the jump. And you look at the three-point shooting. Baylor is 10 of 18. Gonzaga is 1 of 8. And so maybe there still is enough time here for Gonzaga to have some Jalen Suggs magic, but it's not looking good right now for Gonzaga. And what a just... A letdown. It's, it's it's it would be if Gonzaga cannot come back and win this game. Now it might add to the mystique and the legacy of Gonzaga if they can make a rally here, because based off of what happened Saturday night in their Final Four win over UCLA, and just what a great game that was, and how it ended with a buzzer-beating three-point shot as the clock expired in overtime. If Gonzaga can couple that with a feverish comeback in this game, 
then it's going to go down as one of the greatest Final Four runs that we've seen. And, of course, it would also mean that Gonzaga stayed undefeated, something that we haven't seen in nearly 40 years. But right now, Baylor, to their credit, is dominating Gonzaga, and that's uh, something that we'll continue to keep an eye on here in the final few minutes. But uh, some other news. Now, let's just kind of – there's a lot of stuff going on on this Monday. I mentioned it at the end of last segment. Major League Baseball has announced that Coors Field in Denver, Colorado, will be the new home of the MLB All-Star Game this summer. It had previously been scheduled for the Atlanta Braves to host that, but it was pulled out of Atlanta after the voting rules that are the voting laws that were passed in Georgia. Major League Baseball took the game from Atlanta and now has given it to Denver. You heard Ken Kendrick say that Arizona was never really an option, was never really in consideration. So uh, there's that. In the NFL, you have Sam Darnold, who was a high draft pick just three seasons ago in the 2018 draft. He now has been traded to the Carolina Panthers, where the Panthers will be giving up a sixth rounder this year and for next year are going to be giving up a second and a fourth rounder. So Sam Darnold has found a new home with the Carolina Panthers. There's been a lot of talk and speculation about what his move to the Panthers is going to mean for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, People are speculating that he could end up with the Denver Broncos. Now, of course, that could push back the timeline on Drew Locke, although I don't know there's besides maybe his own family, too many people that are sold on Drew Locke right now. So that would potentially be an upgrade for the Denver Broncos. But just something to keep an eye on as all of these moving pieces continue to happen in the NFL, specifically with the quarterback position. And of course, when or if Jimmy Garoppolo gets traded, that is going to be another big domino to fall in the NFL when it comes to the quarterbacking world. Uh, One more quick checkup here in the national title game before we get out of here. Now under 12 minutes to go. Baylor still leading Gonzaga, now 67-53. to That's going to do it for this edition of The Rundown. want to thank Cody Fincher and Jesse Morrison on the other side and Luke Lipinski for allowing me to uh, fill this void and fill, fill his seat on this Monday evening. By the way, he's with the Arizona Coyotes right now in their broadcast, and the Coyotes doing good work right now into the first period. Yotes up 3-1 on L.A. That's going to do it. I'm Jordan Bird. Have a great rest of your evening on Arizona Sports.